Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, I'm going to tell you a nonfiction story from inside a book. Now, the book is a National Geographic book called Brain the Complete Mind, and it is put together by Michael S. Sweeney. Now, I love this book. It's like the Reader's Digest version of the brain. It's got, I don't know, like 340 pages, and it has so many parts to it that are just great. I'll probably reference it a few times. It talks about the different sensory receptors we have and the evolution of your development. And it talks about attention deficits and, and the things that the tongue, how it has different tastes and how that works. And it talks about motion and states of mind. And it just goes through all of these things about types of sleep that you get and amounts of sleep that you need. And it just sort of goes through and gives you little tidbits of information. But on page 260, there is a story of a girl whom they named Jeannie. And I don't know her real name, but that is what they call her. And it has a picture of her, which for some reason just like makes it sit a little bit more in your mind. And there's this little girl named Jeannie and she is 13 years old and they find her in this house and she has been trapped in a room for pretty much her whole life and if she was noisy they would beat her up so she wouldn't make noise so then they end up giving her speech training And as they're giving her speech training, she is not making these connections. She isn't understanding these things. And what it says here at the bottom, it says that, well, I'll give you the exact quote in a second, but it says that she learned basic communication and she did fairly well with sign language, but that she couldn't articulate sentences. So it says here, The left hemisphere of her cerebral cortex had not received the sensations required for normal speech development. Starved for stimuli, Jeannie's speech centers had suffered irreparable damage. And after years of rehabilitation, Jeannie wound up in a series of foster homes and her language skills regressed. Now, my brain goes to a couple of different places here. My brain goes to what if she was autistic and they just didn't know and she didn't have the ability to speak in the first place. And that's why her parents got upset. And that's why her parents were so horrible and put her in a room. So that is a possibility in my mind. However, they probably did a lot of tests on her and know far better than I do because I'm just a mom. But what it really stood out to me to say was there really are windows for learning. And if those windows close before the learning happens, then you miss out on that window. Now there's a lot of elasticity to the brain and there's a lot of articles out there that tell you that you can still learn and you can still develop new talents and all of those things. And so you can go through and find out that you can still learn and develop. But when it comes to language, there does seem to be a window where they say, if you don't learn your language skills by a certain time, you're probably not going to be learning your language skills. And when you put it in the context of neglected children and children who have exposure to drugs and alcohol in utero, 
then you end up having, in my mind, a realization that some of these skills that I'm so desirous for my daughter who has reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder, the skills that I want her to have may not be in the cards for her. Now she's young and we've put a lot of effort in and I do think she's making tremendous progress. So I don't want to give up hope, but I do think it's really important to reframe the way that you have to parent a child who might be missing some of life's most basic skills. The skills that you learn as a baby when your mom holds you and when there's communication because some of these neglected kids, nobody talks to them. So they might hear like a television, they might hear radio, they might hear people talking and understand that there is a language, but they might not understand that there is a relationship aspect to language and the, 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 the bouncing off of each other, the nonverbal skills, though I do have to say my daughter is amazing at interpreting nonverbal skills. <laughs> I think that that was kind of her safety approach where when, when people would come into the room, she would really analyze them. I, and then when she kind of got passed around foster care, I think that got a little bit worse. But there's also an aspect in communication when you are trying to express your emotions or understand what to do with your emotions. And I was watching a little video and it was this, this stupid video. I love it. It's cute of this little girl and she's surrounded by birds and a bird of decent size, like as big as her head lands on her head and she's wearing a hat and all of a sudden she just starts bawling because she doesn't like that there's a bird on her head and she's probably I don't know one and a half or two she's little but and her dad just kind of shoes the bird away and it goes away and she stops crying and I was sitting there as a mom with a child of reactive attachment disorder and a mom who has a child who was neglected as a baby and I'm sitting there looking and thinking That baby was like, I don't like this. And it turned into a crying fest, like a pretty, it was headed to a pretty significant cry, right? And then dad saves the day, gets rid of the bird and calms her down, right? So in that moment, I'm seeing that she's making a bunch of connections that she doesn't know she's making. She's saying, hey, I, I have a feeling. Oh, no, I must respond to this feeling. And she then responds with a loud cry. And then and then dad saves her. Right. Well, I'm looking at my thinking of my daughter at this time, who's six. And when she was a baby, nobody responded to her cries. So she learned not to cry. But now she throws, I mean, okay. (laughs) When she was three, four, five, she threw some amazing tantrums. I'm talking like screaming for up to 10 hours a day. Like it was amazing. And, And she is kind of with medication and with constant hope hopefully my talking has helped but when when we go through all of these things she is kind of now just at some pretty pretty amazing tantrums without without the extra exclamation points at the end where I think people are kind of surprised she acts this way but this isn't as alarming and terrifying as she used to behave so I'm kind of looking at it through this lens and I'm thinking I feel like my six-year-old daughter is finally at this two-year-old point. Now, each part of her kind of ages differently. She definitely has, like when I was talking about the nonverbal skills, 
she is 75 years old at her skills at reading nonverbal skills. Like, I mean, nonverbal cues. She is amazing at it. Weirdly amazing. (laughs) And, And she also has an ability now to kind of understand how she's processing or why she's thinking a certain thing. And she can go through that. At a, d- at a development level that I would put in her teens. I think that she is well beyond most of the kids her age when it comes to understanding her emotions, even though she can't control them, but to understand what's causing them, if that makes sense. And so, but then there's other parts of her that are newborn or two years old. And I feel like a lot of her things are now she's on a four-year-old level where she used to be on a two-year-old level. But this one particular area, I think she's now two, where I see her acting just like this two-year-old girl with a bird on her head, where when something goes the way she doesn't like it, just like this little two-year-old did. And if it is fixed for her, which she kind of has a very self-centered point of view, which I also think comes from the neglect, where, you know, who else's point of view are you going to take if you're by yourself 95% of the time, right? She is, she was never given that opportunity to realize that life existed outside of her own brain. When you think of narcissism, I don't think you think a lot of kids that are neglected as being narcissistic, but I think a lot of it makes sense when when you're realizing that they don't really understand that there's other people to interact with. It's them, it's them, it's only them, it's all about them. And look, here's this thing that's going to meet my need now, my need. I want my need met. And so they become, you know, quite selfish. But my initial point is kids are developed differently, especially when they go through traumatic experiences as a, ch- as a child. And when we have to view that in parenting lens, I found something in our house is I am very open about the fact that I have to parent each of my children differently from each other. I have to parent the reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder child differently than I have to parent the child who is a pretty good listener. Like the ones with oppositional defiance have to be parented different than the one when I say, hey, I need you to do your chores. And they're like, okay, like I'm going to, they're going to be parented differently than the child when I say, hey, I need you to do your chores. And they run out of the house and go hide. Like, it's just going to be a different amount of parenting. And I had to sit them down because this caused a lot of ruckus in our house for a while. And they're like, I don't understand why such and such never gets in trouble. And I was like, that's because I am going to parent each of you based on your behaviors. And that is going to look differently because each of you participate in different behaviors. So if I tell you to do your chores and you start yelling at me, know that you're going to get like punished, I suppose, or reacted to or scolded or have to listen to a long lecture because you yelled at me when I told you that you needed to do your chores. And I am not going to do that with the child who doesn't yell at me. So I said, if you do not want this outcome, then don't do those behaviors because I will be parenting you based on your behaviors. And when it comes, when you have that one child who does have something so severely different 
than the other children who are not perfect children. Of course, they're just kids and they have all their stuff. But when you have that one child and you have to parent them differently, I have found it works best in my family and maybe even in yours to tell everybody that you're going to be parenting based on behaviors or you're, you know, there have been times when my little lady at the bottom has been up in her room in time out and I have called my older three children down and I have said, I know that you're going to see me let a lot of things slide with little lady. I said, but it's because I cannot do this. I said, I know that you guys will look at this and be like, what? I said, but I cannot do this and I need her to not be so hounded because she is 100% hounded all the time because at the time she just could not make a good decision. And so I needed her to have a minute. So I would let things slide that I wouldn't let slide for them, if that made sense. So I had to tell them why I was not going after her for these behaviors, but that I was going to go after them for those behaviors. And it was truly due to magnitude and to their credit, they were so understanding because I think they're really aware of the fact that a lot comes from her. And so they were really great about that. But when you have to approach things differently, we also need to have the mindset that it's because sometimes these brains are just built differently. And when you go through these books, I really, again, like this book. It's the National Geographic Brain, the Completed Mind. I don't know how old it is, but I've had it for a long time, so it's probably pretty old. But when you go through these books and you learn that there really are pieces that miss from from people and there really are reasons why people act a certain way. Like one of the things that I found that I can't find at this exact moment, it was talking about schizophrenia and OCD and how they are complete opposites of each other. And I thought that seems weird. Like, I don't know how you would get opposites of each other, but it turns out one of them is a dopamine, um, like when there's not enough dopamine and the other is when there's too much and they're, the body doesn't know what to do with it. It doesn't know how to process it. And so in one, oh, I wish I could find it and tell you this because this is just so interesting. And so when you realize that the things that happen to people and the reason why they are the way they are has a lot to do with their chemistry and their neurological development, then you're able to step back from the personal feelings that come from these behaviors, and you're able to view it from a more calm place, which can be so amazing. Because I was watching this YouTube short. Oh my gosh, I watch way too many YouTube shorts. But I was watching this YouTube short, and it was showing this fast forwarded video of two kids watching television. And they had one wiggling around and kicking her feet and moving around and the other one's just sitting there. And the one that's just sitting there is little. And the the other one who's moving around and wiggling is probably two or three years older, maybe even four years older than the one who is just sitting there. And it said in the caption, the difference between an ADHD child and a non-ADHD child. And I thought, oh, that ADHD child looks pretty chill to me. <laughs> 
I I imagine that's kind of what I was like and what my son is like. But my daughter, you couldn't fast forward that enough and have enough movement in there. She's got a lot of ADHD. But when you have these videos and and there was another one because the algorithm, of course, plays a few after. But when you have these videos and they're showing you all of these differences and it says like there was one where they're high school or college kids are studying at a table and one side has the ADHD kids and the other side doesn't. And the other side is truly just sitting there. And I cannot relate. I have ADHD. I have to wiggle. I have to move. And the other side didn't even move their legs. (laughs) I was like, whoa. But you really do have different kids with different brains and different ways that they process the world. And you can't expect the one with ADHD to act like the one without ADHD. And you can't expect the one without ADHD to view the world the same way the one with ADHD views the world. And I think that that's the best part of the world. I think the best part is that we have so many different types of people. And sure, some of them are annoying. And sure, some of them are like, mean and that's of course bad but some of them are really good and everybody I think most people bring something valuable in the way that they perceive the world and when we bring it all in as a collective I think it's a really good thing because my daughter who has the reactive attachment disorder she brings a unique personality to the world that I don't think the rest of us could bring because she has the disinhibited social engagement version, she has a presentation of herself that is sunny and happy and beautiful in a way that the rest of us can't really achieve. And even though it comes with its own flip side of the coin, I think that it's important to remember that as hard as our kids are, they bring a uniqueness and an important part of this world. Now I know some of you are sitting there saying, but my kid is totally immersed in drugs or my kid is totally, I'm not going to tell you that everybody's going to do everything right. But I am going to tell you that even when your kids are in their sunken spots, there is a place for them and that they can respond to things in their own situation in a way that the people around them needed. And I don't want you to forget that because even if my little lady goes off the rails and ends up in a place where I can't help her, she will be bringing something in that area that will be better for the people who are in that area. I'm not going to wish that for her, but she can't help herself. She just brings goodness in the areas that she can. And my other kids, they have amazing skills and abilities each one different from each other. I got that one who's like, yeah, I'm going to do chores. And I have the other one who will (laughs) yell in my face. And I think, sure, I don't love the yelling in my face right now. But I do love that my child is willing to yell in someone's face for something. Because there might come a time where that is a critical thing to have. And for my kid who's a very good listener, he might need a little bit of that later, just like she might need a little bit of what he's good at now. And the things that are trying for us and are difficult for us might be the inner tube that saves them in the rapids of life later on. 
So even though your kids are hard and even though they're exhausting and even though they might be truly hardwired in a way that is difficult, don't forget that this world really might be better because of the things that they give. They might provide endurance and you're like, I would actually be happier if I didn't have to learn that one. But it really might be better. And you really might end up a better person at the end. And you really might end up having a strength with you and a strength from them that really makes the world a better place. So I hope as we go on, we can all view each of our children as individuals and realize that sometimes even when we're broken, we can still bring beautiful things to the world. Thanks so much for joining me.